0: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. You can go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. We have a great episode for you today. Our guest is Adrian Reeves. Adrian is the Executive Director for the National African American Missions Council, and he has established a new platform called the Table of Brotherhood that fosters racial healing and creates a safe space for Christians to address race issues and solutions from a kingdom perspective. It was so fun to talk to him. Enjoy the conversation. Pastor Adrian, welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you. Looking forward to the conversation and um some great ideas to come out of it. So thanks, Joshua, for inviting us.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Um, what I'd love to start uh, with is just your story of uh, of you with Jesus and then like bringing you into a place of, a, I actually want to to make this a, a full-time gig of, of helping others follow Jesus um, really to the ends of the earth. And what did that look like for you and your journey in that?
1: Absolutely. Well, I was blessed to be born to Christian parents. So Jesus has always been a part of my life. I was i am always say I'm a child of the church. Yeah. And so I saw the impact of church in people's life. And as I began to grow and develop, became active in youth ministry. But uh, one day, the head of our prison ministry came to me okay. and said he wanted to do a camp for uh, kids whose parents were incarcerated mm. uh, through a project called Angel Tree with Prison Fellowship. And so uh, he worked with the youth ministry there, and we began to put that camp on, and I just begin to visit prisons with him and seeing the impact of the gospel on the lives of those men uh, stuck within the penal system. Yeah, I will go on to study uh, prison systems as a part of my college career and just how other countries dealt with mm-hmm. prisoners and the different um the different programs the different tactics and strategies they use to keep them in touch with their humanity so that when they got out uh they would not be so disconnected and so that began to have a passion for those outside of the church who were far from the lord yeah. working with the families and those men uh later on in life i would become an executive pastor under uh, uh bishop david perrin who's actually the founder of namac who uh, has a heart for the nations and he started something called uh, the National African American Missions Conference. And so I begin to get involved with that work and just understand not only the uh, impact African Americans would have on the rest of the world uh, with our story, but the impact of the gospel and those yeah. who are far from it. And just here in America, uh, we are so privileged and so blessed that it's hard to imagine realities where the gospel is absent, uh, where laws are absent. And so Uh, wanting to see what does Jesus look like when he's king of every city of every nation uh, begin to uh, be my passion and the transforming power that once people were converted uh, to faith, uh, the impact of the quality of life the kingdom had on their life. So it's been a journey from childhood, uh, starting with youth ministry, then prison ministry, getting connected to someone else with a global vision who could open that up to you. I think so much of the church um, lacks that. Uh, doesn't really matter whether you're black church or white church. The church as a whole hasn't always embraced the full gospel mandate of going to the ends of the earth.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we're looking. One of the things my my wife realized is that you know, as we grow in all of the commands of Jesus and start to follow him in every aspect. We go from a baby believer into maturity. One of the ways that we see as a mature sign of repentance is that we start to change our minds about what God has already been doing that we actually haven't realized yet. So. She she often says that the, when she first got turned on to missions and global missions and how the, the world works and God is bringing all nations to himself, like every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself, that was a, a form of repentance for her, of to change her mind, to go into a different direction and say, oh, I want to be a part of what God is doing. How have you been able to, to capture people's minds and hearts and help them take that shift from, oh, look, God's always been about this, and you actually can be a part of what God is doing on the earth and through, through missions. How, is the, how have you seen that journey of calling people into that mindset uh, gone, especially in the African American community?
1: Uh, wow, great question. I think there are about three things, three major things. One, I think we've got to address mission myths. I think when people hear mm-hmm. missions, they think third world countries, uh, eating grasshoppers, living yeah. in huts, right? And there's certainly <laughs> our context where that is true, but the creative ways in which we can do missions, both locally and globally, and that we have to understand that the command from the Lord is to do both, not to choose. Yep. Uh, so I think myths in people's mind have been able to talk about it in a comfortable setting and when you hear missions, uh, sometimes there's a sincere disinterest. Um, yeah. I think also, so so addressing those myths, right? That there's only certain people called to it. There's special people called to it. Uh, the other thing is not to over-spiritualize it, right? So yep. sometimes we say, I need to pray about that <laughs> or God hasn't told me. And so we don't need to pray about things that God has already said, right? So he's yep. already told us to go. So it's not really a matter of prayer. It's a matter of obedience mm-hmm. and your heart being aligned with God's mission. We need to build the church as God is building it And not Mm. necessarily our own personal kingdoms so Mm. uh, addressing those myths and concerns uh, which some of them can be based in fear or ignorance uh, making sure that we're not over over spiritualizing the command that we're not waiting for some spiritual experience to to tell us to go we don't have to do that the word of god already tells us to, to to do that that we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations um so if you're waiting for some spiritual experience reading the Bible is your spiritual experience. <laughs> Uniquely in the African-American church, African-Americans are, uh, you know, the first missionary from America was a black man, George right. Lyle. Yeah. And so educating the black church about their rich heritage and missions that you had people like Amanda Berry Smith, um, William Henry Shepherd, John Morant, mm-hmm. These were African-Americans who under adverse conditions were getting radically saved and going to the nation's And so using that as a talking point and an introduction into missions in the African-American church has been eye opening. It's exciting because a lot of times there's I mean, right now we see a huge underrepresentation. And so we talk about why that why that specifically happened because of colonialism and the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. The black church had to go inward uh, for survival. But that was not actually um, the way we operate it in terms of getting the gospel to all nations. So waking them up to those profiles and giving them the, the treasure of their heritage is mm-hmm. another way that we address it in the context of African-American churches. But you know this is a church issue <laughs> getting yep. the gospel to all nations. It's just that in different sectors of the church um, there may be different reasons as to why that is that is true. So yeah so those I would say addressing the myths and fears, not over spiritualizing a command that Jesus has already given and then being able to make a cultural connection between the people uh that we're speaking to and the Great Commission.
0: Yeah, well I think that cultural connection is is pretty vital and key, especially in mobilization and missions, trying to get people in you actually have to figure out what is the password of the community that I'm talking to. Um and <laughs> so once you say that password, you're kind you're kinda of in. And then they will have you'll have their ear so that yeah. they can actually hear you and hear what God is saying to them and i think that's really important but i also think it's important that that what you you said that you know african americans have a rich history in missions that it's not something that you know has been always forgotten that it's there i mean the i mean george lyle being the first american missionary as an mm-hmm. african american just American missionary. It's George Lyle. That's the heritage that we have as American Americans. First is George Lyle. Um, yeah. And so just calling people in, like, hey, you have a story. You're part of this story, and you're part of this narrative. I was listening to a, a podcast, and it was an African American actor talking to somebody, and she said, "You know, we've started to get some some bigger roles, um, so that you know we actually have a little bit of part to play, but we still." haven't actually been part of the narrative um, in the story. Like, hey, we've been now doctors and nurses, and we we have these titles, but we don't have the story connected with whatever story we're telling. Um, and so to be involved in the narrative is key and vital. Um, and so I would love to figure out how do we change the narrative to include all people's um, that is not just uh, you know a specific ethnicity or race that is actually going. I mean, if you're looking at the the global missions movement that now it's from everywhere to everywhere, and so all ethnicities have have a part to play in missions at the moment, and it's pretty beautiful. How can we get people to say, I actually have a part to play in this story, um, and my story connects to this story that God is telling.
1: Great question. We have to actually retell history <laughs> and mm-hmm. go back and look at the parts that have been um that have been forgotten. Uh recently, uh two gentlemen, uh Dr. Walter Milton and Joe Freeman have um created Black History 365 and incl- mm-hmm. an inclusive uh, account of American history and they've gone back through every era of American history and told who were the black heroes? Who were the African-Americans that played a part there? Right. Mm. And so we need to do that for the Latino community. We need to yep. do that for the disability community. We need to do that for yeah. our Asian brothers and sisters when all of our literature uh, has white faces on it. And this isn't a a dig at, at, at our white brothers and sisters, nor is the race or the effort of diversity making white men the enemy. That's not the the story here. What we're saying is that there were people who were left out. So you actually have to go back when you look at the Revolutionary War or the Civil War or any era in history and say, who were all the players, not just the ones that we recorded down? And then you have to go into those communities and find the leaders, find those profiles. We have to come into relationship with one another, right? And so uh, when the Lord begins to assemble his team, there are they're, they're fishermen mixed with doctors and lawyers, mixed with tax collectors. And so it takes those different profiles. I always say, if you're trying to learn things about a different culture, look at your area of interest. You know, if mm. you are someone that's into sports, then who were the people in that industry from other cultures that made an impact? If yeah. you're into arts, if you're into government, then who were the people from other cultures? So study mm. the profiles. Of diverse men and women from other cultures in your area of interest you know if you're not into aerodynamics okay that's okay but what are those things that you're interested in if it's music then what, what were those african americans that were shaping the arts during the harlem renaissance uh, and times before so we have to number one go back through history and find out who the other players were uh we have to get into a relationship in those communities mm-hmm. and we have to begin to uh, study in our field of interest or our field of focus um, more diverse profiles. I was recently challenged this year uh, through NAMAC's Table of Brotherhood that most of the books I read are um, written by men. I, in my own library, yeah. don't have a lot of female authors. And so mm. it made me say, wow, this is something I, this is a blind spot that I need to correct. So I think we've got a lot of blind spots yeah. that the Lord wants us to be awakened to. And we, we play a part through effort in doing that, through research, through relationship, uh, and being able to rewrite some of the history that has been just outright omitted.
0: Mm, I think that's such a key and a key factor is saying there are so many people at play and so many characters that we need to to say, who were they? Um, and another thing that you said is we enter into different cultures, we have to form relationships in our sphere of interests. And forming those relationships are, are absolutely key. I think it, if we... You know, you have something called the table of brotherhood. But if we come to the table with one another, uh, right, and we start to eat together or speak together, we're actually going to hear from one another. Um, it's really important that we hear from uh, you know diverse voices and from people from different things, so we could actually see the the goodness of God in every aspect of humanity because God is. Uh, a beautiful God, and he's created all of us in his image. So there's aspects of God that we're missing if we don't actually hear from other people in diverse voices. So how how, how can we actually get to that table, form that relationship, and get to a place where we could see each other and hear each other?
1: That's awesome. You know, we, uh, at NAMAC, we used, uh, unfortunately, after the death of George Floyd, we began to see um, just the divide between the black and white church. In a really sensitive place, right? Yeah. And there seemed to be this awakening amongst our brothers, our white brothers and sisters that was genuine. Uh the black church became, you know, mournful and silent. And they're, they're, but there was yeah. also this silence from our white brothers and sisters. And so yeah. we just begin to say, maybe they're not saying anything because they agree, maybe they're not saying anything because they don't know what to say. Yeah. And so we we again begin to hang on to the words of Dr. King. And so I I say that. Because sometimes you have to look at models that were before you and see what can you do? And so in his I have a dream speech, he says, that I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the former sons of slaves and the former sons of slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Yeah. So we took that concept of a table of brotherhood uh, and begin to, on a quarterly basis, call black and white leaders together to talk about race relations in the church, race relations and its impact on the Great Commission, because believe it or not, our racism issues mm. in our country are making its way to the mission field, causing missionary conflicts. Um, mm. and so on a quarterly basis, we begin to pull that, um, pull these leaders together, different uh, leaders, men, women. Uh, and so once a quarter we have what we call the table of brotherhood where we bring people together to talk about issues, talk about possible solutions, uh, gain understandings and insights. And so you just have to start where you are. And so yeah. we are grateful in that, um, With each of those tables, uh, over 200 people have joined uh, each of those tables to be a part of those discussions. And we want to continue. This is a deep wound in America. So it's going to take a while and a concerted effort. So how do you do that? You could, number one, look at NAMAC, go on YouTube, (laughs) type in NAMAC Table of Brotherhood, see how we do it. Um, You can reach out to us. We'll give you our dialogue sheet, but you can look in your local community and see are the white pastors, who are the black pastors, where are, are the parents, who are the activists, and bring them together on a somewhat regular basis, and just throw an issue out on the table and say, how do we uh, pray for it? What are some possible solutions? Mm. What are some insights that I don't have? You know, yeah. if I were, uh, what does police brutality look like in your neighborhood, right? What does a fair and equitable school district look like in mm. your neighborhood? And so, um, again, it starts with relationships. And I can't say that I knew all the panelists, but I knew panelists mm. who knew other people. <laughs> yeah. And so now my friends begin to expand. A lot mm. of this is relational and common sense. You yeah. know, We don't need another march. We don't need another law. What we need is heart transformation. And yeah. that happens when we get in close proximity to one another. Yeah. It's you and I sitting here having this That's conversation. Right. You know what That's I mean? That's right, yeah. So um, it's those average, normal, everyday things that we overlook, that mm. we think we need a book or some college professor to give us a, a a a workshop. Or no, it's relational skills. It's mm. the ability to care.
0: Yeah, I uh, that's key. I I mean, I think the church should be leading out in this. Um, I mean, it should. This is what the church is about. This is coming together, knowing that every single person is made in the image of God. That everybody is a son or daughter of the King, and that we actually are family, no matter what, um, no matter what we look like, no matter who we are. We're family because we're sons and daughters of the King. Um, and so, how do we we really do that? So, as a church, how do we lead out in front of this? And I think that. As a church, we've we've been silent a little bit. And so other people have taken place saying, hey, there is an injustice happening. We need to rise up and call people to justice, which should be, you know, that which is the job of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. He's he is much a he's a man of justice. So yeah. how can we as the church lead out in front in culture and not just rely on the actors around us uh, to step up? And these justice issues?
1: I think we have to repent. <laughs> We've got to <laughs> repent for abdicating our role. Listen, Proud Boys and Black Lives Matter are not our enemies. They're actually our mission field, mm. but they have stepped up in the absence of there being a true representation of the gospel of the kingdom. We've yeah. got to embrace the gospel of the kingdom and not just the gospel of salvation, right? Yeah. So uh, the gospel of the k- kingdom includes salvation, But um, we've been preaching people to the cross, but Mm. we actually haven't discipled and taught them how to live from the cross. That when Mm. the kingdom of God comes into a territory, it's not just I've got my fire insurance. I'm not going to come to the cross. Now, how do I walk around with a crown on my head and Mm. think like the king? When the kingdom of God comes into a territory, um, quality of life goes up for women, goes up for children. Look at that early church. They begin to look at the needs in the communities when they had two groups of widows that were not being treated fairly. They didn't make an excuse. They didn't say, oh, this is a distraction from the gospel. The apostles begin to institute the deacons so that there would be equitable treatment amongst those who are in need. So the first thing is don't political, don't politicize issues that are spiritual and Mm. heart issues. Right. We become so Mm, so separated in the church. Um, between red and blue states. But guys, we already have a party. We already have a king. Yep. And his principles are very clear. So I think we have to not see justice as a political issue. We have to see it as a spiritual one, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so we've got certain bu- buzzwords that we have now deemed um, negative because they make us uncomfortable. So there's got to be sincere repentance. Yeah. There's got to be a renewed sense of the uh, of the kingdom of God. And when when the kingdom of God is present in the community, Crime goes down, Hmm. social programs go up, Um, churches come together and work together. And that's another thing. Dr. King was really great at reaching across the aisle, working with uh, different types of people. Churches are so insular now. And some of that is because of a very negative view of denominationalism. But one of the healthy things about denominations is they cause community of churches to work together. When Paul is writing in the Bible, he's writing to the churches at Thessalonica, to the churches that are at Corinth. So churches have Mm. got to start operating as a network uh, and not being so insular in their own programs. If pastors don't share pulpits, if Mm. pastors don't share ministries, then we're not going to see our our cities turn for Christ. Mm. The last thing I'll say is that we have got to somehow train our congregations to not just hear the presentation of the gospel um, by people who look like them. So intentionally at my church, for instance, we I started something called Midday Meditation at 12 noon every day. And Mm. we intentionally have a different person bring the word of God every day. Mm. If the only people I'm hearing the gospel from look like me, talk like me, eat like me, then that does not give me an appreciation for diversity. So we've got to see intersectionality. We've got to see some cross-pollinated ministries. On a very regular basis, mm. so that our, uh, so that we're teaching people that God speaks through all nations. Um, yep. Even in terms of worship, our worship styles have got to be more diverse. You know, worshiping in a different language, <laughs> calling yeah. a different style in. We've got to practice diversity. Diversity is not the world's word. Word. It's not. Um, it's not something that's new. It has always been something that God has led. in. if you want to read a diversity manual, the Bible is full of diversity mm-hmm. teaching. You yeah. just got to be able to open your eyes and see it from that perspective.
0: Yeah. I have something I'd love to to get you to, to feed back to me, see if I'm I'm on the right track or not. One of the things I think that the church isn't on the right track is because we actually don't have a good understanding of, of Ephesians 4, um, which starts with, in verses 1 through 6, Paul, as, you know, as he sees in the book of uh, Ephesians, as like the architecture of church. This is how church works. Um, and in Ephesians 4, he starts off saying, you know, we have one God, we have one hope, we have one baptism, we have one Lord. Um, and it's all about this unity. So he starts off that we actually have a foundation of a common purpose, a common humanity, a common baptism, a common God, like we're in this together. And then, you know, it jumps to verse 7. It says, then grace was given to each one of them. So everybody has a different grace given by Jesus. So Jesus gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. That then, in, in turn, those giftings, different gift mix that we all have, the diversity that we have, leads to maturity in Christ, where we don't actually become tossed to and fro by the waves and every wind of different teaching. Um, and the cunning schemes of the evil one, we actually can stand strong and be mature and grow up into Christ. But it's the foundation of unity that I think is the thing that's missing for some people. That we often, well, the world has started with diversity. Like we need to see each other as the diverse people that we are. And we've forgotten our common humanity. We've forgotten that we actually are still all one people. Um, that have different ethnicities and th- different diversities, different gifts that we have to appreciate and be aware of with one another. And so I think that if we start with unity, our, com- our common heritage, our common humanity, I think we would be at a further we would be further along in this issue than we are at least in the church, because we all have one purpose in the church.
1: Yeah, I love this passage you just um, quoted, and we could spend the rest of our time there, so I'll (laughs) do my best not to get stuck. And believe it or not, I think it's right there when he begins to break down the diversity of gifts. Yeah. The the underdevelopment of the um, American church, spiritually and theologically, has been that we are mostly evangelical Mm -hmm. and we are not apostolic. We don't embrace all the fivefold gifts that the Lord um, laid out. And we even have those sectors of Christianity that teach against it, which is sad. (laughs) We're treating the body of Christ out of growth. And listen to what he says. He says, you're not going to come into full maturity until all these gifts are actually present, right? And so, Mm -hmm. again, we go back to we're fine with the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. We don't necessarily embrace the prophetic and the apostolic, right? right, which is necessary and key to the church maturing. so a lot of the immaturity that we see in the church is because the prophetic and the apostolic is not in place we sometimes shied away from that because we've seen false representations of Mm. them as well So we've got to repent for even saying oh because we don't want to be that we're just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater as opposed to trying to pursue and be the real thing america where are your prophets where are your apostles where are those people that 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 hold Mm. the foundation of the church together where are those true voices Um, And so we've definitely seen false representation of it, but we've got a whole body of Christ, um, whole whole entire sectors who haven't embraced it at all, who don't know what it looks like Mm. when they've been taught and trained, but we're not going to be mature without it. Uh, The Bible tells us that we have structural leaders. Those are your deacons, your elders, um, your stationary pastors. But then there's those pioneering, bridging, planting gifts as the apostles and the prophets, and they need to arise um, so Mm. that we can establish the church in truth. And be a church that's on the move. These are actually the offices that put the church on the move and establish yeah. it with a firm foundation. Evangelists alone can't do it. They can bring that joy and light a city on fire, but the stability to maintain the movement is up to the responsibility and oversight of the apostles and the prophets. I think it's that key verse right there. Yeah, we're not we're not operating with diversity of gifts. We're losing what those gifts bring to the body of Christ. And so mm. now there's a lack of maturity. Now we look to political move, movements yeah. um, and false representations to be with those gifts are supposed to be in the church. Mm. Um, and those in those churches, you know, Paul has unity amongst his churches. They are supporting one another. Yeah. They are doing <laughs> ministry together. They're on mission together under his epistolic leadership. That And so the, the church in America has mm. to take a sharp a sharp transition from being purely evangelical to embracing the en- entire apostolic ministry. And they are pastors who actually have this call, but because in certain places we don't have anything else besides them to be a pastor, yeah. um, their gift is bigger than the, than the context that they're right. in. Um, and so we're crushing local structures, not mm. embracing global structures, and we're cheating ourselves. And so this is a point of repentance for us as a church.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I know when I was first... You know, I felt like I was called to full-time ministry, um, but I was in high school. And so I looked around me, and the only thing that I saw was to be a pastor of a local church. That's what it means to do ministry and be in ministry. And I went to university to become a pastor, and halfway through the semester, I'm like, this is not for me. This isn't what God has called me to. I'm not going to—I'm going to just die if I'm a pastor, a local pastor. Um, And so it took me 10 years to figure out what to do. Um, And I was floundering for 10 years. And I think it's because we don't actually have that fullness of, of gifts, that diversity of gifts, to actually have an example of what it looks like to be the mature church. Um, if it's just one gift that we have, which, you know, primarily in the in the West, we have a, a teaching gift that leads out uh, more than anything. Right. That's not enough for us to be mature because we have to have all of these gifts working together. Um, okay. So that's so good. And thank you. That's so good. We need it. So call them to repentance. <laughs> let's Yeah. Let's and we,
1: we need prophets, you know, to tell us what is God's current heartbeat? You know, what is his what is his word to us? In a country that's divided between vaccinated and unvaccinated, red yeah. and blue, what is he, you know, and we've really kind of married ourselves to a political system that we should be speaking into, not necessarily partnering with in heart, because our, yeah. our, our, the heart of the Father should, is what we should be saying. And where are those apostles who say there are new movements coming? Mm. Um, the church has, we've been losing, losing the culture war. We've been losing the digital war, right? So yeah. when COVID hit, there were some churches that shut down because they couldn't make the dig- digital divide. But guess what? Pornography didn't stop. They were already on that. You know what I mean? So the apostles come and they allow us to to go into new movements of the gospel. Uh, Prophets give us the heart of God. Mm. And then the local church is empowered because we're we're in pattern with what heaven is is speaking, right? Mm. Um, And of course, again, I want to acknowledge there are abuses that we've seen in those offices, but the real thing should not stop being the real thing just because there's a counterfeit present. That's even more reason for us um, to be expansive. And the world is absolutely obsessed with the supernatural, right? But right. we're the ones yeah. actually have <laughs> the Holy Spirit in us. And I want to say this, in the West, we are very guilty of re- recalibrating the Trinity to be God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy scriptures, because we love teaching, but it's not that it's God, the Holy spirit. And so to actually have a relationship and engage and understand what it means to be a part of a spiritual movement and have Mm. a spiritual relationship and encounter supernatural power. We don't, a lot of us don't have a grid for it. We don't have intimacy with the Holy spirit. And so we relegated him to some seminary um, content as opposed to being the life-giving breathing spirit that he is and supposed Mm. to be for the church.
0: And that that's interesting to me because the Holy Spirit is who's in me and lives with me and walks with me and is with me all the time. And so, how how did we lose that intimacy with the Holy Spirit?
1: We became more intellectual, <laughs> right? We became more intellectual. And I, I, I love college. Now I went to college. We yeah. you know, we began to. The Bible says that. Listen, in the last days, they would be forever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And Mm. so we've got more degrees behind our names and more letters behind our names, but we know less about God. And the Bible says that when they had met those apostles, they could tell they were men who had been with God. And so do we invest the time in prayer and intimacy with the Mm. Holy Spirit that we do in getting our education? And so we become extremely logic, research um, even in our panel discussions, we try to out scripture one another, right? Well, scripture says this, and scripture <laughs> says this. But Paul says, I will not come with, to you with wisdom of words, but with power and demonstration. Mm. And so things that Jesus preached and did, we actually teach against things like divine healing right. or the casting out of devils, those things. So it's, it's the spiritual uh, movement and activity that makes us biblically normal. Right, Mm. it's not how many scriptures you know, (laughs) it's the amount of them that you're able to live and actually demonstrate. You know, miracles cancel out all arguments, yeah. So, we have to get back into being comfortable. But we love to be in control, we love to be able to explain all things, and those things don't necessarily build faith in a faith like community. And so, um, we have to get back to being those supernatural people and Mm. being, uh, being comfortable with not being in control, being comfortable with not having a model or a three-point step to everything, you know? Yeah,
0: and that's that's hard for us. We love being yes. in control. We absolutely yes. love it. I mean, we just got done with the, doing our missionary training, and one of the last things I left people with was remember that the Holy Spirit is the best teacher. Like, And, you know, we often forget that the Holy Spirit teaches, gives wisdom, discernment in all things as we're walking with him. So, you know, back when you were talking a little bit about churches coming together and networking together in different places, have you seen any good examples of that in the in the States as churches coming together, networks happening to affect communities?
1: Uh, I have, but not necessarily in the field of missions. <laughs> right. So, and this we go back to are we on God's agenda? I've seen churches come together. Uh, I sit on a board called the Collective Empowerment Group. And mm. It is a, a collection of churches that meet with business owners and banks. Yeah. And they uh, begin to put together financial programs. To bring about financial stability uh and empowerment in the church that's great i've seen churches come together um with youth programs or women's groups right mm-hmm. so we do come together around some uh shared interests but it tends to be they don't necessarily tend to be global um and reaching in terms of missions so a lot of times they're our personal interests and i think we've got to ask ourselves are we building what god is building mm-hmm. and are we pursuing the people that god is pursuing right and so um, I think when it comes to missions, this is an area where churches have not done well, but mm. I actually have seen churches do it. You know, we, we have conferences all the time. Yeah. There are lots of interest areas um, that we come together on, but the mission of God seems to be lacking. And mm. unfortunately, um, it's, it's vital. It's essential, you know, yeah. and the return of his coming depends upon it. Um, yep. And so we have to return and ask the Lord to ignite our heart for the loss right yeah. so when churches come together what happens to homelessness in your city when churches come together what happens to the penal system do you continue to see prisoners going in and out in this loop or do yeah. these churches come together and put together a program um, and put together resources that actually help to establish them in a new life mm. um can, are, is it possible for three of your churches to get together and you say you know what our network is going to adopt the nation of haiti yeah. Our, the solutions that the world needs are not coming from the government. Yeah. They're not coming from the education system. They're going to come because the church arises and and becomes the church that God has called it to be. Look, we're the bride of Christ. Yeah. We should be, <laughs> we should be <laughs> on the same agenda as our husband, Jesus. Right. Yep. And so um, I know men have a hard time with that particular analogy, but we already have a marriage that we're in and yeah. we need to be. I mean, can you imagine being married to someone and you're not unified? You're just living separate lives. And in many ways, the church is living a separate life from what Christ has been called to do. If he's been called to seek and save that which is lost, then we need to do that. And loss are not just in your city. They're all over the world. Yeah. And, and I think the other fear is that if you go globally, that will be a loss to what you're doing locally. And that is simply not the case. Yeah. People give more, volunteer more, because when you begin to embrace a global vision, you're stretching the capacity of your church.
0: Yeah. And I I think that it's important. Th- I mean, we do something called Senders University here at All Nations. That's really important. That we're we're equipping the senders of of missionaries not just the missionaries themselves because there should be a connection between the local and the global the the church should be sending people out um and that they you know the people that are out should be reporting back so that the the church local church can be inspired and in being able to to go out and see more things happen even locally um, and so there should be that connection. I mean, we see it through, you know, through Paul's ministry uh, and in the New Testament that there are connections between the local church and the people that have been sent out. Um, and so we have to keep that connection alive and well so that we could all grow into maturity, into our relationship with Jesus and making it a more complete gospel, as you said. So, yeah, that's really essential and huge uh, to be able to do that. What what's going on right now for you know for people that aren't very much aware of? But what's going on and what's exciting in the in the African American missions community at the moment?
1: Awesome. Well, um, NAMAC has been a huge network for the African American community. You know, in the last year, we have transitioned from being just an annual conference to now a year-round organizational resource and network. Uh, the need has been so great. African-Americans are recognizing, number one, their history and missions. So even those who have been interested or have studied that era, uh, they weren't seeing themselves. So NAMAC has been able to bring those profiles alive. Every month we give out a mission award, and we name Mm -hmm. all of our awards in honor of African-American missionaries. So for Mm -hmm. instance, uh, this month is the John Lewis Award, and so he's someone mm. who did missions amongst the Native Americans. Imagine that, the Black church and Native Americans have this <laughs> wonderful history of creating gospel movements together. Um, Rebecca Progson Award, uh, a sister in the Caribbean who was uh, witnessing to slaves along their, their, their travel route <laughs> um, and get, getting them converted to the Lord. So I would say that waking us up to our history, uh, of course, we've all been in this pandemic, so we haven't been able to move around a lot, but it's allowed us to uh, begin to dream again. And so we are coming up with a 50-state initiative in 2022, mm. where we are actually going to be bridging at least three churches within a state to allow them to become more missions-minded and take them on a journey of a, missions, um, of a missions curriculum. And they'll be able to take an assessment uh, uh, that will score them in one of five levels. Level one being that we're interested but don't know where to start. Five mean that we're completely missional and we're ready to now mentor another church and becoming mm. missional. And so that's everything right. from giving to short-term teams, to teaching, uh, to missions being a part of your worship, that missions is the DNA of the church. Mm. And I think the other key thing for, for NAMAC again is that we're seeing um, our approach has always been generational. So we have a children's Um, a children's department, a teens department, because we don't want this generation to look at African-Americans and missions as being something unusual. So that missions will always be a part of their life. And we as a church have to have a generational approach to what we're doing. Right. We have a tendency not to bridge the generations together. So those are some of the things that we're doing. We have uh, the table of brotherhood, of course, that we do on a quarterly basis. We're, we may be following your lead and becoming a podcast soon, so that we can, even, <laughs> nice. uh, on our more frequent basis, speak into the racial reconciliation yeah. effort. We have the Black Missionary Cafe. Uh, that's uh, one is tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, uh, it's when we bring together Black missionaries all over the world, from Scotland to Mexico mm-hmm. to Afghanistan, and we connect them so they can hear from one another. One of the myths is that Black people only do missions in Africa but God has gifted us to be able to be a witness wherever we are. And so we come against that, um, or we help to give another perspective to that narrative. So lots of resources, you know, we call ourselves a network. So there are pastors in our network, Mm -hmm. missionaries in our network. We have the conference. Uh, as the world begins to stabilize and open back up again, hoping to do regional award, um, events. But I would say the 50-state initiative is something we're really excited about. Yeah. And lots of work are going into making sure that we solve that problem, that churches are almost disfellowshipped from one another. And so we <laughs> yeah. want to bring them back into fellowship, but around the mission of God. Because, again, as I said earlier, Churches do things together, they're just not always the things that drive the gospel forward. So yeah. if we can get a church network in a state centered around the Great Commission, uh, supporting long-term missionaries, sending short-term teams, equipping the saints, yeah. uh, making, pe- making sure that the whole church is mobilized. So how do we send well? How do we care for the missionaries on the team? How do we care for their families that are here? So some people, you know, they may not be a, goater, but they, a goer, but they could sin well. Yep. And we teach them how to do that effectively and still be engaged in what God is doing. So yeah, those are some good. of the things that we're doing.
0: Well, I, you know, if you have, have some churches, you have some people in Kansas City, I'd love to connect in with that and figure out how we could do that as, as a whole city. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of things that we need to work on. Uh, in Kansas City, especially with race relations uh, okay. and uh, merging churches, making sure that we we talk to one another. But we have some great initiatives that are happening. So, you know, especially that's really started out of a, a prayer movement that we've seen black churches, white churches, and, and pastors coming together um, in a prayer movement across the city. Uh, that's yeah. really been uh, foundational to say, hey, we see each other. Um, and, you know, we, our church has taken a, a small little step as we're, I mean, we're primarily a white church. Um, and our, our youth group has decided to merge with a, with a, a black church's youth group. And so we, we're now, and saying, "Hey, we're going to get together and we're going to worship," um, and we're sa- and we have the the youth pastor that's from that church is the one that's leading, uh, leading that. And so that's really helpful for us as we actually start to engage uh, with one another and saying, "Hey, we are worshiping the same God together, and we're doing it side by side." And uh, it's actually been a beautiful thing uh, to see, and hopefully that fruit of what is started would actually blossom into something much more than just youth groups coming together.
1: That's awesome. That's actually an example we've used before. How do churches come together? Exactly what you just mentioned. You now, if your woman's group is doing something, if my woman's group is doing something, let's just do something together yeah. or create something new that we can do together. But it's really knocking on the doors or pick up the phone and says, hey, I'm in your city. We don't talk. We don't eat. What can we do together? What are you guys doing? I don't have to be in charge. We can join in with what you guys are doing, but that's relational and it's easy to do. You know, you know, you know, these young people are going to come together, come together together, together. (laughs) you know, uh, it's those everyday normal things. It's no, you know, grant project or strategic (laughs) initiative or um, legislative event. It's people saying we're in the same city. Why do we not worship together? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just a couple questions at the end. Number one, uh, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give?
1: That is a beautiful question. You're using one of my own questions on me. (laughs) Uh, I would tell myself, don't be afraid to do what you want to do. Don't be fearful. Go. If you want to go, go. I would definitely tell myself, don't be afraid. Um, And I guess that would be in tandem with – Don't wait for someone else to give you permission to be you. Yeah. Stop stop waiting for validation that God placed that desire in you. Go do it. You're wasting your time waiting to see if you fit in or or this group Mm. of people will will validate it. Don't be afraid to be you and do what you want to do.
0: That's excellent advice. Thank you. Um, Anything you've been reading or watching that you could recommend?
1: Ah, Yes. So recently uh we were attended Missio Nexus mm-hmm. and uh Chet Esler has a book called The Innovation Crisis that I've been using as a devotional recently. It mm. is an amazing book. Um, when you think about innovation, the church has lagged in this area. When we think about innovators, we think about Google, we think about Apple, <laughs> but we don't think about the church. And the church used to be innovative. Mm. And so we 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 um, are deficient in this area. Yeah. So I would uh I would highly recommend it. It's a very well-treatment of how we got here and what we need to do to get out of it. And innovation isn't always technology. I think that's key. Yeah. Sometimes it's about figuring out a new way to do a process or a new way to do ministry. Uh, a new, we have a, a new way that we teach Bible study at my church. So innovation is just the mind of Christ coming to us to be relevant in the, um, to be relevant and effective in our generation. So the innovation crisis by Ted Esler definitely uh, worth uh, worth the read we have we live in an era that has been greatly disrupted by technology social media has yep. been a disruptor um the internet has been a disruptor uber has been a disruptor uh the church can be a disruptor in a positive way yeah. and uh, we're going to need innovative ideas to do that
0: good so there you could go to namac um as uh, the website yes
1: you can go to uh namac events or the namac uh, so N-A-A-M-C. Uh, so either one of those sites would work for you. Uh, they lead you to the same site. Um, uh, we used to have the NAMAC, NAMAC events. And so we encourage you to go there. There's a resource library there. Um, mm. We've got podcasts. We've got blogs. Uh, there are um, new events that are coming up. So check us out there. You can also, uh, if you want to email us, uh, info at thenamac.org. And uh, we'd be happy to talk with you, partner with you, And dream together.
0: Excellent. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for this time. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoyed this conversation, and hopefully we could uh, stay connected to see the gospel expand throughout the earth.
1: Absolutely. If we're ever in Kansas City, you're going to be the first people we look up.
0: All right. Thank you.